Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Welcome back in all my safe space friends. Today I have Jenny Hartsong today. She is a sex, love, and dating coach. And I am very excited for her to talk to us about her journey coming into being that type of coach, what inspired her to be this. And really, I mean, if you're a woman out there, I think this episode's for you. You really need to tap into that like divine goddess power. And we have someone here today that teaches it on a daily basis. So welcome to the show, Jenny. Thanks for coming in. Aw, thanks so much, Kayan. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited. <clears throat> so, I know. Where do, do we I begin, just... right? Like, <laughs> where do we begin? <laughs> so, like, how'd you get into this line of work in the first place? Well, I think with a lot of coaching, um, if you actually ask most coaches out there who are out in service in this sort of arena, it usually comes from a place of pain or their own suffering or their own frustration. Um, and I actually don't have a lot of shame in my background around sex, which is pretty normal story when it comes to working with my clients. A lot of times we have shame from our, our religion or <clears throat> from our parents or we just hush, hush, don't talk about it. And it's just not something that we accept. And, um, but for me, it actually came from an unknown issue with my vulva. So this is one thing I want to bring awareness to is that a lot of times we call it a vagina, right? That's the common word for women's genitals. Um, but the vagina is actually the internal part. That's the, um, and the outside part that you actually can physically see is that whole area is encompassing is called a vulva, which I think it sounds a lot prettier than vagina anyways. I would agree. So, <laughs> Um, vagina has always like kind of been such a weird word for me. So I'm grateful that the awareness of vulva is coming out. So, um, when I was 12 years old, I actually started having some weird, like little paper cuts down there and I had to go to doctors and some, I think I think, so like starting at 12 years old, I had doctors looking at me down there and I went from uh, 12 to 19 not getting any answers whatsoever. And I probably went to a variety of like 20 or 30 different doctors and different specialists and skin biopsies. And I had a huge problem with getting yeast infections and skin rashes. And it wasn't any kind of STI, but that brought a lot of awareness to the concept of STIs and about conscious sexuality. Um, and like being intentional with who I share my body with because it made me very vulnerable to getting an STI. And it also made me very vulnerable to getting a yeast infection, which is also very uncomfortable for women. I think it's a, I think the stats are like two, 50% or 30% of women in their lifetime will get an yeast infection, which is just an imbalance of um, bacteria. And well, it's an imbalance of your pH and bacteria inside the vaginal canal, which is a dark, warm, moist place. And 
I think it's really important that we don't shame it. It's a very common thing. The the only other thing that's like more common is a bacteria vaginosis, which is kind of when you itch down there, you smell kind of fishy, things like that. These are very, very common things that women have in their lifetime. They're very easy to cure with like a round of antibiotics. But in my case, we couldn't find the solution per se. So it brought a lot of awareness to talking to my partners before I had sex and very clearly communicating my boundaries up front, which I was learning as this went on that a lot of women don't do this and men aren't used to that. It, it wasn't something that they were used to. And some men really loved it. Some men got triggered by it. And it kind of like brought some like curiosity to me. Um, and it didn't keep me from having sex per se um, because I did, you know, have rounds of therapy through doctors and things like that. And there'd be times where it wouldn't be a problem and times when it would and when it would, I just wouldn't have sex. But so it, it just brought like acute laser focused awareness to my genitals, which are what we, you know, involve with sex. Um, and then I was raised by very hippie parents that didn't get married. Um, they actually broke up when I was two. So I was, I was raised in a very like alternative culture. And though I think the alternative culture is fascinating and amazing and unique, there is not a lot of healthy relationship structures because there's no marriage, there's no commitment. And so I was raised around a lot of single moms. I had a single mom. I saw a lot of very toxic relationships. And I kind of quickly learned that I was not having healthy, per se, relationships within my own life. So in 2012, I kind of got catapulted down this this journey of personal growth and personal development, partially because of my health problems and, you know, getting fed up with all of the doctors not having any answers for me. And then also partially because my mom actually died of breast cancer in 2012. So that catapulted me on a journey of really deep transformational personal growth and personal development and kind of wanting to understand like, why people, why I have the emotions that I have and why I was just, I just always, always been fascinated by why people do what they do. And I stumbled upon Tony Robbins, which he's a huge transformational speaker. And one of his main things is why do people do what they do? So I started studying that and that's kind of when I got dove head first into nutrition, holistic health, alternative wellness and also into the psychology of human behavior and communication specifically around intimate relationships because I realized that my intimate relationships weren't working and my health wasn't in alignment. And so that brought me down a path of international travel. Um, It brought me into 10 days of silent meditation retreats. It brought me into detox centers. And it also brought me into the world of Tantra. I just kind of stumbled upon my life. Um, And for those of you who are listening who don't know what Tantra is, 
it's an ancient intimacy practice from specifically comes from India and it's been used for thousands of years but in a very very basic foundational structure of it it's it's being present in your body and present with your lover's body when you're in lovemaking or in intimacy connection so that could involve um, eye gazing and that even just eye gazing in its own is very uncomfortable for some people when they're having sex. It can also be not even having sex or, or being penetrated, but it can be like sitting cross-legged and eye gazing and doing breath work together, breathing intentionally together. So that kind of got me into this journey and, you know, I found out just so I don't leave you cliffhanging, I actually found out I had heavy metal poisoning, um, which was very, it's not very talked about um, even today, but back then it wasn't even talked about at all. So I <clears throat> I had heavy metals, which is mercury and lead. Um, so for a lot of people, if you have, you're struggling with health issues and you can't get the solution with the doctors, I usually say like get tested for mold poisoning or get tested for heavy metal poisoning. Those two are kind of the primary ones, especially if you're having candida issues and you can't figure out what they are because they can make your sexuality and your intimacy very uncomfortable and very awkward. So, so um, but you, yeah. what was, where was the metal coming from? Was it just like in the you know, in, in the air? Like, I've never heard of this before. Pull that apart for me. Um, actually, interestingly enough, a couple, like five years ago, Tony Robbins almost died from heavy metal poisoning. So thank God, I mean, thank God he didn't die and thank God for that because he's bringing more awareness to it. Mm -hmm. He got it from fish. You can get mercury from fish. So I highly recommend staying away from larger fish like tuna. It's very, very heavy, laden with mercury. Um, I don't have a specific proof to show where it from my mom wanted me to get tested because she found out she grew up in a cancer zone in in Long Island and then um, she got breast cancer and then if you have mercury or let it in your body you can't actually transfer it to your child if you have so so that was her theory um, <clears throat> I don't really want to get too into this because it's kind of controversial but oh, I didn't absolutely. get back <laughs> I, I I didn't get vaccinated as a child at all in any way, shape, or form. And when I was 18, I did get vaccinated. But I did have the health issues happen before I got vaccinated. So I don't think it's necessarily that. But I do have to say that at 18, when I got fully vaccinated, I got exponentially sicker right away. So I don't know if that activated it or added to it. I really don't have an answer. I just know that I went through years of, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, foggy brain. I was like about 35 pounds less than I am now, which I'm in, I'm a really healthy weight right now. So I couldn't eat anything, couldn't digest anything, had horrible candida problems. I mean, I was, I was sick. I don't know. I, it, it, we have lead in our walls, which I had if we live in an older house. Um, and mercury is, you know, in fish. 
but I don't have an answer really. I'm yeah, not a doctor. No, that's I just the first time that I've ever heard about that. I wrote that down immediately. I was like, oh, this is a new rabbit hole for me. Especially yeah. when it's connected to, you know, vulva health. You're always looking for any any answer, explanation of why it could potentially be affecting something on your body. So I like the awareness yeah. that you're brought to it because I literally have never heard about that until right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't either. And no, not a lot of people talk about it. So I'm not an expert in it by any say. I just had that experience and it brought, you know, this really intense vulnerability. And I, I <clears throat> also brought a lot of doctors looking at my, my vulva and prodding and poking at my vagina. So I think in a way, even though it was very uncomfortable for me at the beginning, it kind of got me more comfortable with my own body, strangely. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's kind of where my, my trauma comes from. I think a lot of women, and it gave me a gift, though. I think it gave me a gift as in I was laser fierce about what I was available for and what I wasn't. And I think because of that, I was able to put up energetic boundaries and verbal boundaries. And I've never had any like molestation or rape or anybody do anything to my body that I didn't feel comfortable with. And I've traveled the world by myself and I've been very independent and, and moved to different countries multiple times alone. And I just have always been super fierce with like, get your hands off me and get the fuck away from me. And it's pretty amazing how powerful that is. And, and, and authentically, it's not a very common thing that women do. And when I've done it and I've been approached by a man in a way that I didn't feel physically comfortable and I verbalize vocally what I'm feeling, they get surprised. And they usually, 99.99% of the time, they listen to me the first time. So... That's kind of one of the things I, I teach is, is boundaries. That, yeah, there's a weird programming in the masculine collective that everybody got taught of, hey, this is the way that you come on to a woman. And then, you know, like even like catcalling in movies and complimenting and all of this, I mean, low vibrational coming on to people and women are trained to be submissive, right? They're not... They were never really trained to stand up for themselves. And if they were, there's kind of a peer pressure aspect to it that I found mm -hmm. um, growing up. So I love that you're able to put those boundaries out immediately. And the response was, oh, yeah, no, I get it. I'm going to back off. That's great. Yeah, and I think it's also how you say it, too. I think that it's any in any relationship with any human being, it's not exactly what you're saying, but it's the tone and the way of being in which you say it. So, like, if you're being very meek and submissive but saying, oh, no, or if you're standing in your power and being very clear and direct and to the point, you know, they're going to hear it. But or if you, you're, you're uh, you know, going into a, a bitchy, energetic way of being, that's going to create a different reaction, right? So it's really standing clear and truthful and grounded and like it hasn't happened in a really long time for me because I've practiced this for so long and, and I really love teaching my clients boundaries and consent and how to communicate clearly 
But if you're listening to me right now and you're like, wait, how do I do that? Or I have men treat me in disrespectfully all the time. It's, it's really at first an inside job and getting really crystal clear on what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. And then using your voice clearly right away, the second you feel the uncomfort in, in your body. So it's really bringing awareness to the body. And I, I use a lot of somatic work as well. Is like feeling the feeling. So for me, like if I'm uncomfortable with a man and the way he's communicating to me, I'll feel a tightness in my gut. And I'll feel like this kind of like desire to shrink down and, and almost disassociate and disconnect from myself because I'm feeling maybe fear or anxiety or stress. And so it's really taking a deep breath, being aware of how I feel, and then going, okay, what do I need right now? What is it that I need? I need him to take three steps backwards. So then you look at him and this is, this is vulnerable and it's very powerful, but you just look at him clearly in the eyes and say, the way that you're talking to me and how close you are to me right now is making me very uncomfortable and I need you to take two steps backwards. And if you're not available to do that, then I'm going to walk away. That is really powerful, especially if you do say it in in a, I don't want to be like in a nice way, right? Because we've all been trying to be a good girl, but standing in your power, oh, I mean, there's so many different scenarios. I used to manage um, restaurants and I managed a bar one time. So, I mean, it's just a cesspool of men standing too close to you saying things that you don't want to hear. Um, and I know that I definitely had more of an aggressive tone, Um but I also, like, I don't take shit. Like, if I don't want you in my bubble, you have, like, two to three seconds to get out or I'm probably going to turn into a lion. You know, like, <laughs> I, I was very fierce about that. And that definitely had to do with a lot of personal trauma that I had. I realized that when I started going through my healing journey, like, there is a better way of saying it and not reacting from your trauma every time someone comes into your bubble. Um, and like balancing that lioness in me has definitely been one of the biggest things that I've had to work on and still work on to this day. Uh, and one of the, the, the greatest ways in which to work on that is to, to train your nervous system to respond differently before you're in the situation. That's a really good idea. So, so that, that involves doing um, like, one of them, the one that comes to my mind because I've been doing yoga for 10 years now is pranayama, which is a breathwork practice in which you hold one nostril with one finger. You put another finger on your in between your two eyes and you use your, your, it's like your pointer finger and your thumb finger and you breathe in for, you know, five seconds on one nostril, hold for five seconds and release for five seconds on the other nostril and then you'll inhale for five seconds, hold for five seconds and release um, on the opposite nostril. And that one is, that's one round and you can do it up to 10 times. And what it does is it, it regulates your nervous system to be calm under stress. We all need so, that. Yeah, that one and also different, all different forms of breath work practice. Um, my current favorite to regulate my nervous system under stress is the Wim Hof um, ice plunging or cold plunging. I was just going to say, do you know Wim Hof? So that's funny that you brought that up. I love Wim Hof. I do it in the shower. I don't do the cold stuff yet 
but I'll sit down and I'll do the like 15 rounds of circle breathing. And then um, mm -hmm. I don't time myself in the shower, but um, when I was consistently doing it, I would get it up to about three minutes of breath holds and like the euphoric vibrational state that I was able to access just through breath work alone was, was and probably still is my favorite. I'm really good with diving into so many different things at one time that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh, that was amazing. Okay, now let's go here. So pranayama mm -hmm. definitely was one of the first things I was introduced to by one of my friends who's a yoga instructor. And um, when Wim Hof, I was introduced to about two years ago, and that was really transformational for me at that time as well. Yeah, no, I love his work. I love his breathwork practice. I do it on a regular basis. Um, but the cold plunging is kind of actually going in the cold water has been really regulating my nervous system to be able to handle stress. Um, and I feel euphoric. And I actually, interestingly enough, I've noticed that cold water plunging actually turns me on. Interesting. Which I, yeah, which I wasn't. I was pretty surprised about that because a lot of people aren't talking about that. They're talking about the good feelings, right? But I think it's because after the cold water, which is really cold and really intense, but there's a reason we're doing it because when you get out, you feel so fucking good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when you feel good in your body and you feel like, like your body's activated, right? So like the cold water activates every single cell in it. Like it turns turn it's like a light bulb it turns it on right and in our daily habits in our current modern world where we're turning ourselves off consistently with technology with comparing ourselves on social media with watching netflix with um some people video game which is mind-blowing for me that we do that but i find games on my phone too that i like get caught up in and i have to delete and disconnect from and I feel awareness to my vibration. So this is something I'm really passionate about teaching women is how to work with their energetic vibration in their sexual energy because we women have a very specific sexual vibration that we put out. We, we, we project it into the world on a consistent basis. And if majority of the time we have no idea we're doing it. That's majority. very true. That's very true. We have, we have a friend um, that every time we take her to a concert, um, she's not allowed to go anywhere by herself because she'll walk away like two feet away from you and you'll stare and there will be men circling her like shark with bait. And we'll be like, okay, like our, who's going to go get the drinks this time? And, She's not allowed to go. She did one time and she came back. She's like, those guys were so nice. They bought me, they bought me a beer. And I was like, why would you take a drink from a stranger? And she goes, hey, I grabbed a beer with a lid on it. I'm not stupid, okay? And I was like, dude, I'm just <laughs> saying. I was like, you have a magnetism about you when not only when she walks into a room, like, you know, she's a goddess, right? When she walks in, but the... I've never seen someone be circled by men so much in their life and honestly just kind of like giggle about it. She's not scared. She's 100% in her power about it. And she's just like, oh, you guys are so sweet. Thank you. Have a good day. You know, and then we're like, get over here. Like we're always like watching her and 
like me and our me and my other friend were like glaring at all the guys because like we know what you're doing like you don't get to you don't get to come on to her but it's it's funny <laughs> that you say that because you're you're right like there is a very very pow- powerful vibration and definitely a magnetism that a lot of women have no idea that they're putting out um mm-hmm. and I think I think building an awareness collectively would be better so you know how to like harness that energy and protect it more well it's, it's learning to turn it on and turn it off in the most appropriate ways and when it's appropriate to put it out there and when it's appropriate not to and I, I think part of the reason I've become acutely aware of it is because of tantra and and that but I also I when I was younger and I wasn't aware that I had it, I had the similar experience as your friend. Um, where I would I would I would get whatever I needed or wanted whenever I walked into a bar or a club. Like I would just get to the front of the line and get in effortlessly and the bartenders would give me free drinks all night and the club owners would connect me with whoever and I would be in a I would be with a group of girlfriends who were just as hot, if not hotter than me, physically. You know, like, it, it wasn't about the way I physically looked. It was a just certain energetic frequency that I was putting out. And I, I started to become aware of it. I mean, like, huh, this is interesting. I'm being treated differently than my friends. Why is that? And that's a really good way to start, right? Where, where if anything in your life, you see kind of an awareness of a pattern, right? whether it be a good pattern or a bad pattern, a positive pattern or a a negative pattern. It's questioning why is that. And this is something that I have done really, really solidly with my relationships because I was having a pattern of giving my heart away to these two men, falling deeply in love, and then having them leave me for somebody else. And I couldn't understand it. I was like, okay, I'm a great catch. I'm like, I don't understand what is going on here. Like, I love sex. I, I'm a great cook. I'm a great communicator. We not, we don't, we're not fighting. Like, why, why are they going towards somebody else? And it took a lot of years of personal growth and a lot of questioning, right? But it got down to, I finally figured it out, is, any pattern I believe that we have in our lives, any pattern, whether it's just empowering or empowering, comes down to our core childhood wounds. And this is based on psychology. Not necessarily wounds, but our core like zero to eight, right? This is based on psychology. We know that the core foundation of who we are is established from the years zero, from when we were born to eight years old. And in that period of time, I realized that my father got, when I was six, got a woman pregnant. My my parents went together, but he got his girlfriend pregnant and had another daughter. And when I was six years old, I made up a story in subconsciously in my head that the men that I love leave me and choose a different woman. Interesting. And they, they bring... They take their love away and they give it to another person, another another woman. And it was really putting my big girl panties on 
looking at the mirror and going, Jenny, you are the common denominator in this thing. I could have like been bitter and angry and sat in my room and said, men are evil and men are horrible creatures and they leave you and they break your heart. But if I thought back to it, the majority of the men left me in pretty respectful ways. Like they weren't being disrespectful to me. I just wasn't able to manipulate or control them with my, my sexuality or my whatever, my being a good girl or a nice girl or whatever. So I had to look back to where that wound was. And when I tapped into that wound, I cried for like three solid hours. Like I just let all the emotions out. And I think that that created the safe, that created healing in my nervous system. And then since then, I've not had that problem. That's a, really, that's a really profound way of doing subconscious healing. I'm really into a lot of subconscious meditation, especially at night when I can fall asleep with my headphones. I didn't do that because I realized um, a lot of the things that I had been working on, I, I had cleared a lot of the conscious stuff away through you know shadow work, regulating, nutrition, whatever I could do. But there was still some subconscious stuff in there that was really, really messing with me. Um, and I still go through to this day. The healing journey never ends, right? Um, never. But, but the, <laughs> the crying for three hours straight, I have had multiple days like that with different issues and subconscious programming that I had to let go of. And crying is still something that I know is good for you. It helps. Like, I understand the science behind it, but I'm still like, oh, God, I have to cry again. Okay. Like, whatever it takes to get on the other side of the mountain, I guess. I mean, crying's uncomfortable, and it makes your face puffy, and your eyes swollen, and you have to blow your nose, and, <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. Um, so I do, I kind of want to talk a little bit about sex and pleasure, because there is that story, right, where, like, um, so something I'm really passionate about, and I share, and I'm, when this podcast comes out it'll be complete because I'm completing it this weekend but I have a mini course on uh, a sacred self-pleasure ritual I think if you're listening and you're in a relationship this is great for you if you're listening and you're single this is great for you if you're listening and you have no sex drive and you don't want to be touched and you have desire no desire to be intimate with anyone ever again this is great and if you have a great sex life you're having sex all the time it's also good for you. So it's, as long as you have, I mean, technically men could do it too, but the one that I put out is primarily for women. And um, I was actually hanging out with a girlfriend yesterday who's also a sex coach, and we were talking about the concept of when we stop having sex, we lose our sexual drive. And I've noticed that in my own body, that if I'm not consistently having sex, I don't necessarily want to have sex. And if I am consistently having sex, I want sex more. I don't know if you've felt that way in your body or not, but I've, and so we're talking about how pleasure is a practice, which is totally in alignment with many, the self-pleasure ritual mini course, is that being very intentional, um, 
being very intentional with your pleasure in your own body for yourself. Not as a performance tool for a man, not as a obligation because you're supposed to be a good girl and have sex with your boyfriend or your husband, but for your creative energy and your creative turn-on to be activated within your body. And what that gives you is confidence. It gives you release of anxiety. It gives you a deep inner peace. It can activate potent creativity in your body if there's something that you wanted to do for a long time but you feel stuck from anything from writing a book to trying, I don't know, trying something new or even confidence to ask for a raise or to go out and date again or to have mind-blowingly epic sex with your partner is start with you and your own body and your own nervous system. And I believe that when you start practicing pleasure on your own and you practice receiving pleasure in your body, then you know what you like, you know what you don't like, and then you can communicate your desires with your lover. And this is something that can be uncomfortable. It can. But also having sex with somebody and not getting pleasured is also uncomfortable. you got to choose your uncomfortability, <laughs> right? Or having meaningless sex. You know, I'm seeing a lot of women in the dating world right now, and they're, they're desperate for connection. And I've been there too, you know, desperate for connection. So one of the ways that is the easiest ways in which to get connection, physical connection, is having sex with someone. But then what happens is that it's unconscious sex. It's not intentional sex. They're not communicating clear boundaries or wants or turn-ons. And so then after the experience, the guy will leave and their nervous systems crash. And then they get either, then it becomes like this anxious attachment energy where like, because our bodies as women get attached to our lovers. Because think about it. If you're having sex with a man and you're a woman and you have, he is literally plugging into you. He's into your nervous system, into your body, into your auric field, into your vibration. And that stays with you for a few days, if not a few weeks, after the experience. And you receive his energy too. So if he's like, in a really, really bad mood or had a really bad week or he's depressed or really anxious or feeling really off, you're going to receive that energy from him. You might be feeling off and you don't even know why or depressed after experience. You don't know why. And so the way in which to do that is is getting aware of your own sexual energy through, uh, through and, and your desires and your turns on, the, your turn off and getting really clear within your own body because it's a lot safer to start there. And to do that and then being able to communicate it and it's regulating your nervous system to receive pleasure and know what pleasure is in your body. So a sacred self-pleasure ritual is imagine like the most romantic experience you can possibly imagine with a lover where they 
have roses and candles and music and they're, you know, caressing your skin and your body and they're seducing you. You know, maybe we've, you've had this experience in the past or you have um, watched, you know, more of a romantic pornographic experience or even like some, some TV movies, there's some love scenes that are absolutely stunning and beautiful and that excite you and turn you on and turn on your nervous system. It's that, but you're not trying to get it from somebody outside of you. You're getting it from yourself and you're regulating your nervous system to receive that type of care. So if you're consistently getting men who are using you, I, I, this is a little harsh, but like as a blow-up doll and they're not caring about your pleasure and they're disconnected and disassociated and maybe don't call you the next day or aren't caring about your pleasure, it's time to start caring about your own pleasure time to start putting your pleasure as a priority. And one thing that with my clients, the one thing I hear, number one excuse is, oh, I don't got time for that. Do you think it has to do a lot with the way, again, that like men masturbating is just like super normal? Like, you know, they can just do it whenever they want. They can talk about it. It's just accepted you know, it's just a part of them, right? Like, oh, where's your sock at? You know, when you're like coming into boys' sexuality and then when girls come into their sexuality, it's like, no, 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 no. Shame, 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 shame. Over and over and over. Like women don't do that. Women don't do that. So when you think not only about the conscious societal programming, you think about the so many deep, deep levels and walls of subconscious programming were at the first like the first time that I thought about that, I remember being shamed when I was younger for it. And um, it made me feel dirty. Like there was something wrong with me because I wanted to explore my own body. Um, I got into a first love relationship super, super young. And I wanted, like I wanted that fairy tale, like high school sweetheart be in love the whole time. So you know, you do, you do what you think you're supposed to do. You be the good girl. You do what they say. You cook their dinner, you know, do their laundry, basically like take over for their mother. Right. Um, and I couldn't tell you how many times where like the example that I can think of, cause this was way before even self-pleasuring was like, we broke up for like probably a couple months. Right. So then we're both already sexually active. So we're going to go be sexually active with somebody else. Um, we come back together and now we have new moves and we use those new moves <laughs> on each other. And I'm not allowed to call him out that he did something completely different on me that he didn't the last relationship. But um, I was shamed for not only wanting something else, but I was shamed for going and having sex with somebody else when we were clearly broken up and I was literally trying to move on from a very toxic relationship anyways. But um, when it did come to, hey, do you want to touch yourself? Um, it was it was all about performing for him, and it really had nothing to do with me. And I mean, even like pornography was probably the biggest thing where he got those ideas, and then just the fact that, like, hey, man, if you got to touch yourself, it's totally cool. Like, all men do it. 
boys will be boys, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, 100%. You touched on all of it. Like, um, especially if you were raised in a, a religious background, a lot of times it's, it's shameful, it's dirty, it's wrong, it's bad. It is, in our culture, it's considered shameful or wrong for a woman to be turned on. If you look at history in general, like, every time, like, even in America in the 1940s and 50s, his, the word hysteria comes from a woman who is sexually turned on. And she, a woman could be put into a mental hospital by her husband. Because women were property they, back then. Exactly. In which they used shock therapy mm. if the woman wanted to have sex too much. So I don't know if this is actually true because I didn't do my research on it. I just read it and was like, that actually makes sense. But around the time that that hysteria thing happened, they said there was mass hysteria around women where basically they went to the doctor and this doctor basically invented the vibrator, right? And you would go to the doctor, he would stimulate your clitoris, you would orgasm in the doctor's office, and then you would you would be better, right? And I have no mm-hmm. idea, like, I don't know the year or anything. I just remember seeing it on, like, some history page that I follow, and I was just like, this is so sick. Like, this is so sick that that's what they did. They, I mean, when you think of, like, negative collective energy, like, clearing it, the, the poor feminine, the suppression of the feminine through all walks of life, it just still blows my mind. Um, that's why it's empowering right now. Like you have the opportunity right now in this moment to make history change. And it is a reclamation to embody your pleasure. Sorry, I'm having. <coughs> yeah, okay. Um, while you take a drink, I would just say, I know that my creative energy and my sexual energy and my healing energy and my nurturing energy are all very, very tied to like the lower three chakras is what I, my favorite research to go through. And I, I suppressed a lot of my creativity for like over a decade and um, definitely had a lot of sexual trauma that I didn't really think that was sexual trauma because I wasn't educated properly on sexual intimidation, sexual harassment, um, that you can take consent back, um, that you can stop like, so many different like definitions that I feel like we were kind of taught wrong or we wouldn't, we didn't understand the depth of it. Um, we kind of got like the Jesus speech about it, right? Like be a good girl, be a virgin, your body's your temple. Don't give yourself away. Don't be a loose woman. I remember hearing that way too often where I was from. Um, nobody will respect you if you have a certain amount of sex partners, Um, and then I remember even like I had a bunch of guy friends growing up, so we would all sit around and I was one of the guys. So they would just talk about, you know, all the girls that they were touching around the tri-state area. And, um, they would tell you who smelled, who's a freak, who likes anal, who's, who sucks good dick, who doesn't like just very supremely degrading sentences, which at the time were just all trained to be like, like, I was super curious, right? Because I'm like, well, 
Like, I wonder what someone would say about me if they got with me, especially when you're like a teenager almost, like going through all your hormonal changes. Candida is going to be a thing. Again, women really aren't educated enough on their vulva and their vagina enough. So, like, if a guy's like, oh, she smelled like fish, I'm just like, okay, well, did you ask her what her diet was and what her stress level is? Because, like, there's so much more that goes into it than, oh, my God, she's nasty. And that would be a lot of the portrayals from these um, very, I just like to say, low vibrational men. And I'm not blaming them by any means, but the programming in both of the collectives is extremely toxic which is why I think work like yours is very, very important. Um, one of the biggest things that I realized that I struggled with for the longest time was re like was receiving and not really knowing how to do it. And disassociation was a very, very big part of my younger sexual experiences. And probably just within like the last year I've been able, like I still say I'm still working on like root chakra healing the most just to build that foundation. And that's where you have to go through a lot of um, sexual understanding, regardless if you've had trauma or not. Like, um, and that was a really big one for me because like those are like the three hour cry sessions for me where I was like super connected to my body because I've, I've been doing yoga since 2013. So I pride myself on talking to my body and having it talk back to me. And you know, I kind of had that out-of-body experience for a minute where we're just talking to each other, and I'm like, I can't believe I did that to you. You know, that's mm -hmm. just, it's crazy to have that realization, and I definitely don't, like, blame myself. I forgive myself for not really knowing any better or just kind of going along with the status quo of, like, being the good girl and, you know, wanting to be loved so bad that I settled for a lot of things that I didn't want to settle for. Like looking back, I'm like, oh gosh, what a life lesson, I guess. But um, receiving was one of the biggest things and still something that I have to work on to this day um, because it's so easy to just go back to that neuroplasticity of disassociation in my brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where sacred self-pleasure rituals can come in, right? It, it regulates your nervous system to receive pleasure within yourself and it, it's a, also a tool to help you like do personal development work in the form of somatics. So somatics is feeling the embodiment experience in your body. So it's like if you're having stress, you're aware that, oh, stress equals tight ball fire in my gut. Or when you're feeling love, you realize that love is a blast of energy that's light and bright vibrating out of your heart and down your arms into your fingertips and out into the world, right? That's just being aware of sensations in your body and, and allowing them to be. Um, and sexuality is one of the most powerful ways to move energy and to heal stuck energy. And when you're talking about the root chakra and the sacral chakra and the solar plexus, right? Those are the base three foundational chakras that the majority of the world hangs out in. You know, the root chakra is all about survival, basic human needs like shelter, uh, food, security, safety. Then the, the sacral chakra is all about sensuality, creativity, flow, sexuality, reproduction. Then the solar plexus is where your ego is. 
but it's also where your intuition lies. So like you had an intuitive hit, you follow your gut, right? We say that. So those are the three chakras in which the majority of us hang out in. And it's also the majority of where sexual energy tends to lie. And I learned from a sexual tantra teacher that unfortunately she has passed away. Her name was, is, or Psalm Isadora. She was a very transformational above her time tantra teacher in Los Angeles and was getting very, very, very famous at the she was at the height of her career when she unfortunately passed away. Um, but she taught me in workshops that I worked with with her is how important it is in sexual energy to bring the energy out of those three chakras up into your heart and through your throat and all the way up into your crown chakra. And that when when then when we do that, that's where we can like not become slaves of our sexuality, our sexual energy. And it's very important for both sexes. I think it's specifically important for women to be able to have, to release energy for their creativity in a higher way. But we also can have much, much more mind-blowing orgasms and become very multi-orgasmic in that way and experience pleasure on a whole new level. It also clears blocked energy, which again, you know, you can cry and have, have trauma and be released from the body. And I also think it's good for men, too, because I think, like, I call it, like, jack-off energy or, like, jack-off culture. If you, you can, I can feel, and I'm sure you can feel if I'm talking about it, if you haven't noticed it before, you can tell energetically if a man jacks off too much, even without knowing, based on his energy. His life force energy just looks strained to me is what I would think. Yeah, and there's this kind of like, like I know it sounds weird, but like this kind of greasy feeling about him, like this this greasy but leechy, like disrespect mm-hmm. or crassness that comes from him um, that I've noticed, or this like desperateness. There's a desperation, and and we have it as well. Like I I've played with my own energy, like. So, so one of the, the, the phases that I went through and I, I've seen other women go through is that like when you do, like if, if we're restricted so much in our sexuality, right, and it's so shame and it's so bad, and then we step into that, that empowered sexual self, right? We're like, oh, my God, I'm empowered. I can have sex. I can, I can be a sacred. I can, I can be a sacred slut. I can have sex with who I want. Fuck this. Like whatever. Like I'm going to do what I want to do. But then that can also turn kind of into the jack-off energy for women where it's like they're constantly needing more and more and more and more and craving more and it can and it can happen for women too especially even if you're not having sex with multiple people but you're having a vibrator orgasm like really quick before you go to sleep it's similar and what happens they what psalm taught me is that the energy is kind of like a figure eight so it goes between the root chakra and the sacral chakra like a figure eight and then it drops out of the body from the root chakra. And when that happens, it can drop the energy of the body and deplete you. So then you need it and you crave it and you want more of it. And it's just like this kind of addiction that happens. And if we're going to go the complete extreme of that energy, I believe that's the energy of 
of molestation or rape or, or even like it can go really, really toxic, but there is some toxicity in sexuality sometimes to like child issues and, and molestation. And, and so many women and boys have been molested at this young age, right? It's a hugely, hugely common thing, which absolutely completely breaks my heart. So yeah, and it especially happens at an age where they didn't even realize it happened. Like they didn't even realize know, what zero, it was. Yeah, zero to eight years old, right? You you're not really gonna remember those. The subconscious has it and then it's stored in your body. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the like again, having the guy friends, there's a supreme amount of pressure to lose your virginity as a guy. And there's a supreme amount of pressure to grow breasts and eventually learn a blowjob by a certain age for a girl. Like, you don't want to be a prude and you don't want to be a slut. So, like, what do you do? And you don't want to be a tease. You don't want to be a tease Yeah, either. you don't want to be a cock tease, right? I forgot about that one. Heard that a few times in my life when someone came on to me in the wrong aspect. They're like, oh, you're a cock tease. I'm like, we've been just talking randomly for 10 minutes. I, I don't know who you're sleeping with, but... This is, this is not the way it works for me. Yeah. So, so when you're embodied in your sexual pleasure, right, when, when we own our sexual energy, we have control of it. We know how to use it and play with it and manipulate it and, and throw it out and pull it in, which we can do. It is possible for us. For us women, we can do that. It takes practice. It takes awareness. It takes intentionality. It takes being in ownership of our, our nose and our consent, when we're in that, then we get to help using our voices. And I think that's when, when we bring the sexual energy through our body and up into our throat chakra, then we can, you know, like I've, I've been shamed or I don't know if it's necessarily shame, but teased or made comments from because I'm very vocal in my sexuality when I'm having sex. I, I don't have any issues with being too loud, which I've had moments where I'm like, oh God, am I too loud? I'm going to make somebody uncomfortable. And then I think about myself, is that, is that another level of shame of women's pleasure? Mm -hmm. But what I realize is that that opens up that space to speak, right? To speak your truth. And so I think that the more embodied sexual women, we become embodied in our sexual women and we're unapologetic with who we are as creatures then we can communicate clearly with men when they say things that are inappropriate because they need to put be put in their place and they don't even know. Like, I say things. Like, go back to, like, the Black Lives Matter concept. Like, there were areas in which we just were not aware of, I was not aware of that I was doing that was racist and that brought awareness to our faces, right? So we get, as women to bring awareness to men when they're saying something that's inappropriate. Do you find it triggers a lot of them? It did in the beginning because of how I said it. So it's a practice. If they're getting triggered, that is feedback that you're not communicating it with power or grace. It's really coming down to respect. If you're shaming them and judging them and making them these evil creatures and wrong and bad and misbehaving, then it's it's not going to help. There's no point in doing it. You've got to do it from a place of service, a place of love, a place of compassion, a place of honor. It's saying, hey, when you said that, 
that made me feel like when you called me a tease, like, why would you say that? Like, where, where did that come from? Cause that made me feel uncomfortable and not like talk. I don't want to talk to you right now. Like, I don't want to be around you. And that's not my deepest desire. Like my deepest desire is for us to have a communication. That's great. That will be uncomfortable for him, but he's not going to be able to respond like, Oh, what the fuck? Right. Most of the time when that happens, they'll be, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't even think about that. Like totally out of line. And if they're communicating with apology and they're meeting you, that means you're communicating effectively. Very, very well put advice. Because like, I think also as women, and I actually was watching Love is Blind recently, I realized we shame men a lot. We put them down. We make them wrong or misbehaving. And that is a horrible toxic trait that the women do. A horrible toxic trait. Because men just want to make us happy. Really at the core foundational level of who they are, they want to serve us, protect us, and make us happy. Really. And it's our job to create that invitation for them to stand up and, and, and be in their power. And that took a lot of training for myself. I've actually, I recommend to every single woman in the world to read the book, The Queen's Code by Alison Armstrong. I've read that book 17 times. Wow. Never, I've never read a book more. And she specializes in the communication between men and women. We speak different languages completely. We're speaking absolutely completely different languages and with her work is I get feedback if a man isn't treating me the way that I want to be treated that is because I am not communicating in a way that he can understand my language right so I'll give you a super simple example I hate taking out the garbage I hate it I don't want to touch it I don't have anything to do with it and so I communicated clearly with my partner. We lived together. Hey, I don't want to take out the garbage. Would you be able to do that? And he said, yes. And I caught myself at the beginning getting irritated and annoyed and pissed off when he didn't take out the garbage when it was full. And I would get bitchy and annoyed. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why don't you take out the garbage? Like, what the heck? Like, what's wrong? And then I realized that he would get defensive and then I would just create this fight. So then I just learned a simple trick, going to him and be going, hey, babe, the garbage is full. Could you take it out in the next couple hours? And he's like, great, totally done. Garbage is taken out, no drama. Right? I didn't make him shame. I didn't make him wrong. I mean, that's a super, super, super basic foundational. Yeah, but it definitely like, sounded much better. Yeah, and we do this all the time as women. We nag at men and we... We, we, we want to fix them and change them and make them better. And, 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 and in, in Alison Armstrong's book, she says that we women are comparing ourselves and the rest of the world, especially men, to the perfect woman. And we have this perfect woman in our heads that is a made-up reality, right? And this is why we, like, get Botox and boob jobs and designer bags and expensive clothes and everything because we want to be the perfect woman. And then we want to, we compare everyone around us, but your perfect woman is different than my perfect woman. And then we compare men to the perfect woman too, but we really just see them as misbehaving, hairy women. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. That's a mm -hmm. that's a nice introspective way to look at it. Yeah, and I think it's important that that we get clear with our boundaries, we get clear with our yeses or noes, and we also honor and respect and adore and love men and cherish them because they're so incredible. They really are. There's we, so many we things, get, sorry to cut you off, there's so many things you know, that masculines do that I'm extremely grateful for just because I don't want to do it like you with the garbage. But secondly, like I'll run into things where my husband's muscles are needed because I do not have the muscle tone to do this certain project. Um, when we buy a new piece of furniture that happens to come in 3,700 pieces, and it looks like one of those god-awful puzzles to put together, like I'm like, oh yeah, let's buy this, this looks great. We get home, we open the box, all the parts go out everywhere. There's just shit everywhere. And my mind literally like clams up and I just start freezing. And he already knows it's it's not like it's not on my resume to put stuff together like that. I just do not <laughs> enjoy it. He does enjoy that. So I found um, a lot of my weaknesses. He comes in with his strengths and really helps me with that. And I've always believed that the woman, um, I mean, besides just being amazing mothers, amazing nurturers, housekeepers, all of that, the spiritual aspect that they provide to the man, which clearly is an invisible energy in today's physical world, but that is one of the main things overlooked in the feminine collective. And there's, again, like it's just about education. Men aren't taught about, you know, giving a woman something and them going and multiplying it for them. You know, like you put a seed in her, you could potentially have one or multiple children, you know, however that goes. But there's so many things, masculine collective-wise, that I really had to sit down and make a gratitude list one time because due to my trauma, I was so blocked off from not even giving a shit what they they do do right because I'm, I'm so sick of all the other negative things that are going on and I want these to change so bad. But, you know, where you focus, that's where the energy goes. So um, I always enjoy... Just being like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad that he does that. It just makes my life so much easier when we are able to balance each other out the correct way. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's like it's true. A lot of times we, maybe we remember those things after we break up with somebody or, you know, like in the moments we're like, oh gosh, I don't want to regret that. So it's like really good to have a gratitude practice for your partner and, I tell my partner every day, like, thank you for this and thank you for that. And, thank, you know, like, thank you for driving right now. I'm so grateful you're driving. I don't want to be driving. <laughs> I do that often, and, too. And thank you for being so kind to my friends and so present with them. And, like, just the little things that, like, I really do appreciate and, like, being aware of those, you know, is, is really helpful and healing, too. I think the men are suffering, too. We're, you know, like, it's not just us women. Men are are, are confused and, and lost and don't know where their role is as women are rising up. They don't really know where, like, their old role wasn't, was, isn't, isn't being fulfilled the same way. And so we get to invite them to rise up and to grow and to expand. And that's, you know... Men aren't taught this. We should. They should be taught by their fathers, but they're not most of the time. 
And so it is our role to invite them into their own growth. It's not our role to teach them. That was a big one for me too. I'm like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And he's just like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah. I'm like, what? This is really good information. One of my favorite stories. So I've been practicing affirmations probably my whole life, but like consciously about four years. I have post-its, stuff everywhere. I'll be brushing my teeth. I have stuff on my mirror. And um, I like, they're around. He sees them. He uses them randomly. And um, one day he came home and he, he like loves golfing. So he watches videos all the time. And he said, this certain golfer like uses like three affirmations or, you know, it's like say three positive things to counteract like a negative thing. Um, our training from a company we work with was, you know, 21 times to form a habit type stuff. And I remember him just being like so excited because like, you can't really judge where the information comes from. Like there's just, however it found me and activated that practice in me was for me. And then it literally took a golfer um, to get my husband to understand the power of affirmations and you know how many people actually use these and they're not necessarily the poster child for every day I wake up, I do a gratitude practice and I journal and I do this. Um, and there's a lot of things that he's observed about my own self-growth in probably the last four years. And he'll come around to it in his own way. And like sometimes my jaw just drops because like I have the moment where I'm like, I've been saying this. And then I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, like it really does. It does have to come to you in your own way. And there's a lot of holding space when you're both on your own, like growing journeys. Like sometimes you go up like five levels and the other person's still on like the ground floor and they're fine being at the ground floor because it's their life path. It's their evolution, too. Um, the biggest misconception that I think that we're taught in marriage is like the, your souls are like merged and now you're like one person and there's this big obedience and, you know, he's your husband and you're your wife and you have to do this because you're married and I'm your husband, I'm your wife, you have to do this because of this label I put on you. And um, I've been fortunate enough to marry a partner that is super freaking cool and didn't like any of the traditional stuff that he saw in a lot of relationships too. He's leaving right now. Bye. <laughs> um, and we, we would kind of like sit and talk like besties on the porch about it where we weren't like talking shit about anybody, but we've observed a lot of the relationships in his life and my life being together the last several years. And I'm just like, I, I don't really know how to be nice about it because I definitely have more of like a comedic approach when I talk about stuff. But I'm like, I don't want that. I was like, these people that were around, they have a ridiculous marriage facade that like it stinks when I'm by them. Like I don't buy your bullshit. I don't care that you got a brand new car every six months because you're supremely unfulfilled in your home life. Like I see the materialism and the separation of your hearts reeking off of you when you know, we go to whatever events we go to and like, we'll come back and I'll be like, I don't ever want to be like that. Like, I know it's not always going to be the highest of highs and we're going to have lows together. I'm like, but I don't ever want to be in a false marriage where my, my label as a wife and my label as a marriage is weaponized against me and I'm obligated or forced to submit to a role that I don't want to do. 
um, that was, that's probably been like the last two years that we've really come to that because there's a lot of pressure and conformity, especially when, you know, you're around other certain married people and my husband and I are like besties. We're, we're not like all over each other. We're not doing all of that. Oh my God, like we're married. Um, I don't do a bunch of cute little Facebook posts anymore because I don't want to put my marriage out there in the open like everybody needs an update that he bought me balloons or flowers or, oh my God, our relationship is so strong right now and we just went through this fight and, you know, like if we had a separation period and then like I need to tell Facebook that we became a strong couple afterwards because we fought through this big battle, like I've never been one of those people, but I've observed it a lot. And I, like my heart kind of goes out to those people in a way because you know it stems from a severe insecurity in their own evolution. So I mean, yeah, leading with compassion, definitely. But there is like an annoyance when you see it. And it's also like a mirror for me because I'm like, never do I want to do that. So if I don't want to put up an anniversary post, if I don't want to do a Facebook post, for his birthday or for my birthday. Like we don't live our lives on social media where we need validated by 200 plus comments and 500 likes on what our life is like. And um, I've had people be like, you never post about your relationship. And I'm like, I have a healthy relationship. I was like, I like posting about chakras and evolution and self-development and planting (laughs) seeds in humanity and just how to help the collective. Like I'm on borrowed time. I'm not I, I don't really want to sound like a hot air balloon anymore when I talk. I've had my time. Um, and I'm really lucky that I do have a partner that's coming into his own evolution. I skyrocketed past him. Um, and he I was very grateful that he wanted to stay because it went from like, hey, we're going to have a normal life to, oh, this is our life now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either we grow together or we grow apart. Yeah, definitely. And we've we've definitely had those moments. I think, I mean, anybody going through their own stuff, digging through all the skeletons in your closet isn't really something you think about when you get married. You're focused on the wedding, the honeymoon, family, house, like all the 3D stuff. Um, but even like we had conversations of like self-pleasuring and it was just like, mm-hmm. let's not be that weird couple that has to go like hide in the closet and touch ourselves, you know, like don't make me walk in on you and be jealous that you're not touching me because I'm, I will feel like I'll just want to kill you for keeping your penis away from me. Like, don't do that. That's my semen. I married that. It's my job to take (laughs) care of it. And if you, you know, if you want to go hide in the bathroom, like it's a discussion that we should have. Same for me. Like I'm, I'm not going to be like, Hey, I'm going to go pleasure myself while you're watching TV. Cause like when he comes around me, I'm like, I'm excited that I'm still attracted to him after so long. Like holding that attraction is really important for me. Um, But he's been very kind with all of the stuff that's come on my journey where I'm like, hey, I'm going to take a break. So like take care of yourself however you need to. Good luck, bud. Good luck. (laughs) Well, I, 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 I think that's great. You know, like the communication and being in alignment with what you what works for you in your relationship. And I think that everyone should do that, right? Not like what works for your relationship doesn't work for my relationship or what works for my relationship may not work for your relationship. Like, and, and the neighbors and everybody, and we get to craft and create our own container with our partner. And I think 
one of the things that I find is not very healthy is when we are creating a relationship based on what our parents or our family or our culture, our community, our neighbors want versus what we want, right? So whatever is in alignment for you and works for you, I, I think it's really important. And me and my partner, we have separate bedrooms and separate bathrooms. And that's what that works for us. We sleep together primarily most of the time, but we have separate spaces that are our own. And that feels really good for us. I love that though. I had my own, not that I had my own bedroom, but I, before we had our daughter, I had my own, I called it my own safe space. And it was where Mm -hmm. I did my yoga. It's where I put all my, my records, my musical instruments, my posters. Like it was a full on like Cheyenne room. And I would just be like, Mm -hmm. okay, um, it was nice to see you. I'm going to go to my room now. And he's like, have fun. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, if you want to come play with me in there, like you can come in anytime. He's like, no, I know you like your alone time. So I'm like, I do. Thank you so much for honoring <laughs> that because, you know, that's that's been kind of a new thing for me. But um, having fun in your alone time is really addicting for me now because there's just so many things that I want to learn and do and schooling and practices. And I mean, especially when you start like turn on music, light some incense or sage and then start doing yoga. I mean, you can time doesn't exist to me. And I've definitely like lost that room because it's my daughter's bedroom now. But I still remember that was one of the first rooms that I had where I was able to really explore myself and really get back into who I actually was as a person. And I wouldn't have been able to do that had he not given me that room, but also supported me. Because I have had Mm -hmm. friends where they're just like, my my girlfriend my boyfriend like literally if I'm not attached to their hip if it's not all about them like you know they just freak out and I'm like okay well that's like put that monkey back on their back right like that's not your problem they're stalking you in your own house (laughs) and it clearly shows some inner child issues that need to be dealt with but again and and that's that's that codependency energy and I think a lot of it comes back to sexuality and that, that, that vibrational field within the lower chakras. So I do want to pull something up that you said that I want to communicate about, and it, it's going back to the masturbation practice or a sacred self-pleasure ritual. Mm-hmm. I personally, personally, this is my own personal opinion, take it or leave it, whoever's listening, take it, leave it. I think it's important for women's bodies to have a sacred self-pleasure ritual, even if they're in a partnership. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's an, um, it, and this is a ritual, like what you're talking about, like putting incense on, putting, dimming the lights, lighting a candle, putting on sensual music, putting on lingerie for yourself, tapping into your sexual energy, dancing, looking at yourself in the mirror, really connecting with your own body because it's bringing back into that sovereignty, right? It's, and, and it's helpful for the relationship because it taps you back into your sexual energy. It turns you on. It makes you want to have sex more. Um, but it, and it's not cheating. It's not cheating. It's, and, and that, you know, my partner supports that within me. Like, oh, great. I'm like, hey, babe, I'm going to have a self-pleasure ritual tonight. Just, you know, it's easier because we have two bedrooms. (laughs) (laughs) I can go in and have my space, but you can do it before when they're like doing something else, right? Or if they have an event to go to or going out or even if you have one bedroom and you're just like, hey, I'm going to go have a secret self-pleasure ritual and then I'll let you know when you can come in. 
kind of situation. I definitely think that's like, powerful. And we're we're not to the point where he's like, how was your day? I'm like, I touched myself for 27 minutes straight today. And <laughs> I blew my crown chakra off of my head. Um, I <laughs> might have accidentally performed a sex magic ritual, but I promise it was all love and light. Like, we definitely aren't there. But um, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed... Um, trying to explore myself more and like taking my power back and not feeling like all of my pleasure and all of my sexual activation should go through just my husband. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it makes them also not have to be like orgasm machines. Like, like it makes them take like the pressure off of them. And then also like, so like in myself, many uh, my sacred self pleasure mini ritual course. I teach a breathwork practice to help you activate sexuality into the other chakra, so you can bring that energy up. Mm-hmm. You can do it on your own. You can do it right now. You can do it when you're driving your car. You can do it at any time, and then you can practice it in partnership. But you can also practice it during your sacred self pleasure ritual, which then can make it easier for your nervous system to do. Because when then you're in like when you're having sex, it's a little bit more challenging to practice it because there's another body and there's a lot going on. So then, and then you can do that and it's really enjoyable for the man too. Like when a woman is in her sexual pleasure, it's a lot easier for the guy. Yeah. He's definitely picking up on those pheromones, right? He's just like, Oh, what is this? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, and then, um, I, I, I want to kind of start wrapping up, but I wanted to talk about one other topic. So there's Tantra, right, which is conscious, intentional connecting through breath work, eye gazing, um, different energy experiences. And then there's, there's a world of which is kind of like the average person kind of scary to listen to or hear about. It's BDSM. It's becoming a little bit more conscious or aware, a little bit more. And it stands for bondage, um, dominance, submission, and masochism. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of times you think about, like, a dungeon. And, the very you know, hardcore stuff that's just, like, why the, would anybody in the right mind want to subject themselves to that? There must be something exactly. wrong with you. You must have, you know, you must have a lot of sexual trauma if you like any of that. Exactly. But the truth is, I think we all have sexual trauma in one way or another. Every single human on the planet has some sort of sexual trauma just because the way the conscious collective sees sexuality. Absolutely. And that being said, if we can accept that part of ourselves, right? Where Tantra is the light in us, which is beautiful and healing and a really good step. If you haven't tried intentional sexuality, I highly recommend starting in Tantra. It's a lot more gentle and safe. And if you've done Tantra and you're, you know, you're into personal growth and into personal development and you've been on that path, sexual development through BDSM practices is so, so powerful. And in my Sacred Self-Pleasure Ritual mini course, I, 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 I've incorporated elements of it throughout the program so you can see the softness of it. And the, there's five key principles in BDSM that I think that every single person on the whole planet needs to in, 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 in embrace and incorporate. So 
in the first one is communication. So anytime anyone goes through any sort of BDSM practice where they're being tied up, they're being degraded, they're being spoken to in, in you know, they're being physically hit or or having any sort of intense experience, it is all consensual and communicated to a T beforehand. So if it's done correctly. But most of the people who are in the BDSM world are educated in some way and they've gone through an education tool. And that's what I also like is when you're getting educated around your sexuality, you're being more intentional about it and then you're kind of clearer. So it is communicated and to a point where sometimes that is communicated so clearly it is written down on a piece of paper and both parties sign it. That is how much communication. And it can get so detailed to a point of, do you want to be spanked? Okay, how do you want to be spanked? Do you like it to be quick and you know short or long and hard? Do you want to be spanked three times in a row? Do you want to be spanked with this intention? Like, you know, do you want me to cup your bum afterwards? Like, super crystal detailed clarity. And I think that we are missing that dramatically in the vanilla practice. We are not communicating what we desire and what we don't desire before we have sex. Even in marriages. My favorite, not to cut you off, but my favorite that I had two friends that were very into the BDSM community, um, and I lived vicariously through them because, I mean, I just never met anybody who actually went to those links. Um, And they said, um, you know, like basically when you're making your contract, you understand that the chemicals in your brain are obviously going to heighten during sex. So the things that you agreed on, you actually get to do. If like you get another idea to add something outside of the contract in the practice, you both understand that since it wasn't communicated, you're not actually supposed to go there. And when they told me that, it definitely gave me a different perspective on the communication level, the openness to be able to speak your truth on what you want to figure out with your desires, what you haven't done. But um, I thought that was really powerful because I know that there's an overstimulation where you're just like, oh, yeah, like, let's just do all this crazy shit where you end up, like you said, crashing your nervous system or you're introducing something that was out of the contract, which, I mean, again, breach of contract, right? Um, but when they told me that, I was like, that's really profound because I've never heard anything about that before. But um, there was something, I can't think of what the label was, but it was like new subs that were getting into BDSM, which one of my younger friends was. And she said, you have to watch for sub drop, which is a mm-hmm. new girl that cannot communicate her desires. Like she cannot tell you what she wants. She just wants you to touch her and she'll figure out if she likes it or not. That is a supreme red flag in the community that one, you don't touch her. You sit down and talk to her about why it's important to, before we enter into this scene, so to speak, that you're able to vocalize your desires down to the very detail of how many times you would want to be spanked. And, um, like right after you get done with a scene, right. And then they're immediately like, I want to go again. And they're like, no, 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 no. You have too much oxytocin and cortisol running through your body right now. Now the aftercare process comes into play, which aftercare, 
um, is a beautiful thing that I honestly think that is also left out of vanilla relationships, which is why I think it's part of yes. it's part of the five. Yeah, yeah sorry 100%. to cut you off on that. I'll definitely like <laughs> no, stop. It's okay. But um, no, and I I want to talk about that because that doesn't just happen in BDSM experiences. That happens in the dating culture. We live in a world right now where people are going on Hinge and Tinder and all Bumble and all these dating apps, and we are hooking up quickly. We are not communicating clearly up front beforehand what we, what the mandatory yes, what the mandatory no, what we need afterwards. And we're, women are having this sub drop happen out of the BDSM community all the time. It it's hap- it happens. And so that's why I think learning to regulate your nervous system and getting clear on what it is that you want is so, so important. So, yeah. And then, so the second one is um, the, you know, clearly communicating what you want and then the consent, consent of, hey, this is what I want. I'm available for this. And, And we, consent is not something that's a common thing in the world. Like, even if a guy whistles at you or grabs your butt in a bar or hits on you too close, or even is in your energetic bubble and too close to you, that's not consent. Even if a guy kisses you without asking permission, right? It's very common for you to meet somebody in the dating scene out at a bar and for you to be talking to a guy and for him to kiss you without asking permission, which I think is we need to change that as a culture. I think asking permission and that's one of the things I again I like about but the play scene or the BDSM scene is consent is never just because you've kissed one person one time that doesn't mean you get to kiss them again or just because you've had sex with some person one time in some way like even consent of like in your relationship with your partner who you're having sex with on a regular basis like for a man to be like hey can I penetrate you now are you ready for penetration? Even if you've had sex thousands of times, that's a level of consent, right? Sometimes we don't, as women, don't touch into our own bodies and touch with our pussies and see, is she ready right now to be penetrated? Or does she need some more foreplay or some more kissing or some more eye gazing or some more spanking or whatever? So it's, it's really tapping into consent. It's, it's something you always get to tap into. It's never expected. So that's the second one. The third one is um, out is always an option. Always. So there's a safe word um, that you use. And then, so like, think about slut shaming or, or pee shaming or like this expectation culture, right? Like if the guy buys you a drink or takes you out to dinner, you have to have sex with him. Or on the third date, if you haven't put out yet, then then you're considered like a tease or not worth the time or like you put all this energy out there. The, the, out is always an option. Even if you're being penetrated and in a very intense scene, if you say your safe word, it's over. No questions asked. No shaming. No manipulation. No guilt. No like, oh, I can't believe you did that. No questions asked. You're done. Right? And then that's when aftercare comes in. And I think that's so important. Even in a marriage, like you're having a bad day, you get penetrated, you're having sex and you just are not feeling it and your energy is so not in alignment with it and you say, hey babe, I want to stop. That could bring up so much, right? 
so much frustration from your partner, so much like that could create a fight, it could create tension, right? So out is always an option. I, I believe that's a huge, huge one, especially for women, but also for men, right? Like they might want to have stop having sex too. They're like, maybe getting it on and they're tired and then they're like, Ugh, I want to go to sleep. Like they should be, you, you do not have to have, you're not signing a contract that sex looks like this every single time and this is how it's expected to be. So I think that's really, really important. And then aftercare. Um, and I'm, I'm, I only said four and yet I said five and I, I can't remember it. But aftercare is, is, is connecting after the oxytocin has gone high. The energy of sex has brought the energy so high up. And then you can crash afterwards if you don't nurture yourself or be nurtured by your partner. That could be cuddling. Um, that could be, you know, taking a hot bath. That could be taking a shower together. That could be drinking water, having, you know, drink, being water brought to you. Um, it could be, you know, just being intentional with bringing your energy down together because in a sexual experience, the energy goes up together. You're building that energy up together. There's an explosion, but it's really helpful to bring the energy down. So like, one of the things that I actually really helped me with aftercare is I got a, a squirt blanket from Yoni Pleasure Palace, which is like a waterproof blanket. And so we use that um, to have sex on intentionally because what we found is like after we had sex, we would like want to get out of bed really quickly and go clean up and like, you know, and then get ready and go back to sleep. And that would disconnect us from it because we didn't want to like, you know, it's not very comfortable to, like, sleep into, like, wet spot sheets and stuff like that. Like, especially in your relationship is an average thing. You don't want to, like, fall asleep on a cold, wet, damp spot on the bed. <laughs> and so, like, having that blanket that's super cozy and comfortable, and then we can just lay in that energy together afterwards and, like, be comfortable where we didn't have to worry about, like, messes or cleaning anything up or be just being with each other and breathing together and, and connecting. So, um, so consent, um, review it. It's communication, consent out is always an option. And I guess boundaries too is the one is like, Hey, I want this, but I definitely don't want that. Like this is never an option. Don't ever try it. Like this is not on the table, but Boundaries and consent can change, so it's good to, like, check in every three to six months and be like, hey, like, we talked about this, totally okay if it's still a no, but has that shifted? Excuse me. Excuse you. Um, yeah, so I guess that, that was the one I was thinking is, like, boundaries. So um, the tools in which to do that is there's a want, will, won't list that um, if you guys go to my Instagram um you can reach out to me and I can give it to you. I don't have it on my website yet, but maybe by the time this comes out, I will. So it's a checklist of what you want, what you won't, will do, and what you won't do. And I learned that from my um, sex coach teacher, Alexa, um, at That Sex Chick. Our, that Sex Chick is her, her podcast and then Sex and Love Co. And I got that from her it's a want, will, won't list. It's what you want, what you will do, and what you won't do. And you and your partner do them. And then the things that you both want to do, you start there. 
and you do those together. And then if one partner wants it and the other one will do it, you can do those too. But obviously, if it's a will and a will, but you guys don't really want to do it, then you can just kind of throw it out the window. And then anything that's definitely won't, obviously, you just don't do. But it's a way to get kind of creative with your sexuality and getting clear of, like, do you want to try getting spanked? Like, is that something that's a desire for you? Or do you want to just don't like being touched on the ears? Or you don't like being touched, like, in certain parts of your body that you didn't ever communicate it? So it's an easy way to communicate it kind of compare the list but um yeah I think that is kind of really important to incorporate into like everyday normal sexual practices I whatever normal means to tell you one of my favorite aftercare stories that one of my friends told happened to her um because when you say aftercare um if you're not familiar with what aftercare is in vanilla or even in BDSM, you're kind of like, like, what does that mean? Obviously like cuddling and all that fun stuff. But my favorite, and this is still like life goals for me. Um, she finished up a scene on whatever their contract was and it lasted, um, a good hour, if not more. And she said like, she, he coached her of how like depleted that she was going to be after all of this, but like you're safe here, like nothing's going to happen to you, like I'm gonna stick with all the things. Um, after a woman orgasms multiple times, it's almost hard for her to walk, and that is mm-hmm. exactly what happened to her. So he he um, drew her a bath and put like the rose mm-hmm. petals, the candles. And he picked her up and he went and he put her in the bathtub and then he cleaned her. And he like sat there on the side of the tub and like took the washcloth and like ran it over like her head and like sensually like all the places that he was harder on her body like 30 minutes prior. He went ahead and he was like massaging her softly because her body was still completely overstimulated. The whole time he was just like, hey, does anything hurt? Did I hurt you too bad? Um, like, can I touch you here? Do you want me to clean you? Like the communication level that she had in this relationship was, I mean, goals for me at the time. And I had never experienced anything like it, but I was like, you're telling me a man made you come multiple times, then carried you into a bath he drew for you and like cleaned, cleaned up and like took care of you. And she was just, she explained like the high levels of oxytocin and the nervous system crashes. And she was like, Uh, he was able to counteract the crashing and I was able to like regulate my body and my nervous system. Like I was drinking water. Um, when I got done, I was able, I finally, my legs were able to work. I got out of the tub. He helped me get dry. I got into clothes that I was comfortable with wearing after the scene. And then, um, he had already like, he did like a fruit plate or like something that was just like, hey, you you lost a lot of stuff. Like, here's a really good way to (laughs) replenish. Like, he was, I would say, what you would call a professional dom. And Mm -hmm. um, I lived vicariously through her stories for a while because I was like, I had no idea. One, that was a part of BDSM culture, but the trust level and the care and consideration for another partner, that was something that I had never experienced in my life. Um, I think the closest thing I got to was like getting in the shower afterwards and like cleaning each other off. And I have to say that was like pretty cute. But now um, like I'm a queen 
And I'm like, no, I want to be carried to the bathtub and I want to be washed. <laughs> like, treat me like I'm a Roman goddess, please, because that's exactly what I pictured. Um, and I mean, like I said, aftercare can be just as simple as like something cuddling. I think the squirt blanket is a great idea because you're right. Like it does tend to get super messy, especially if, you know, whether he has to pull out or whether he stays in, I mean, that shit's still going to come out. So I think that is a great reference. I didn't even know stuff like that existed. I'm used to just like throwing the sheet off or something like that. Right. And the whole like, oh, let's clean up really quick. Um, we've gotten better at that, but I can, I can definitely say in the beginning of like most of your relationships, there is a supreme disconnect because you're like, okay, these these uh, juices were super hot two seconds ago, and now <laughs> now we've both went into a completely different platform where it's just like, okay, go clean yourself. And I think that there's a, there's an honoring of yourself after the practice that could obviously bind you and you know want you to move further down the line with that person too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And um, in my Sacred Self-Pleasure Ritual mini course, I do do aftercare for yourself so that you can teach yourself how to receive aftercare and then ask it for a partner. But the one of the ones that I think that, you know, if you're listening right now, you can take away with is I, I say after you have a masturbation practice, you want to take your hand and kind of cup it energetically and put it over your vulva. Um not energetically, just cup, cup your hand and put it over your vulva and then take one hand and put it on your heart and just breathe into the experience of what you feel like and just visualize your energy coming down. So you're like kind of pushing on your vulva and pushing on your heart and bringing the energy together but also bringing it down in the body and taking deep, slow breaths and like really connecting with different parts of you and feeling the feeling. So like a lot of times we can have an orgasm, you know, during a self-pleasure practice where you just, you know, either get up and go on with your day and take a shower or roll over and go to sleep or pop on our phone and look at social media or whatever and you're not present with what just happened. So just taking a couple of slow deep breaths, you know, and before your practice it's good to have like some water by your side and or tea and you know I like to recommend having a journal to like journal anything that came up and, and to communicate it or um, having fruit I do have you know suggest having fruit for yourself or chocolate or you know sweet snacks that are you know sexy and delicious and really just being in the essence of um, of who you are and you know, I recommend not getting on technology for 30 minutes after if you have that possibility or going for a nice walk in nature um, after you've calmed down and had your snacks and water and want to. But just like really being with yourself in those moments and slowing down and, and being with your pleasure. Because I think a lot of times women, because their nervous systems have been regulated not to 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 want pleasure or need pleasure or want it, that we're afraid to even be with the energy of of what the pleasure has created in our bodies. That's very, very true. I absolutely love your work, and I'm so glad that you hopped on the show because you have opened up a world of possibilities for a lot of women that probably have no idea that they even struggle with this or, you know, there's, there's options out there, there's help out there. 
Um, so I mm -hmm. highly recommend anybody listening, going to your Instagram, connecting with you. Um, and I really look forward to um, promoting your mini course when it's available and when your website's live. Um, right now, well, you it can, will. Go ahead. When this is launched, it will all be done. Wonderful. <laughs> so, so right now yeah. they can connect through like Facebook and Instagram, right? Like those are the best mm -hmm. ways to get a hold of you. Yeah, and you know when this this podcast releases, based on your timeline, it'll be JennyHeartSong.com. Great. Yeah. Well, I will be happy so, to link that. Awesome. Yeah. So I have the mini course, which is going to be complete. I'm. It's the Sacred Self Pleasure Ritual mini course, and then I am planning on creating a mini course. Hopefully, it'll be done by the time this comes out on how to use your crystal wand, um, which is like a crystal dildo because it's a very different experience than regular play toys. And then I do have um, uh, the program will be running when this reaches out, but I'm going to be doing a three-month group coaching experience called the Embodied Vixen, which is really about tapping into your own body as a temple and really helping activate um, nourishment in the body in a way to treat your body as a temple through sacred self-pleasure rituals, understanding your menstrual cycle and how to use it to tap into your power, getting clear on how you're nourishing yourself or your sexual energy, and then it's um, a lot about like getting clear on what your desires are, what your sexual blueprint is, what your sexuality style is, how to communicate what you want and figure it out. And then it's also about manifesting and creating the relationship of your dreams. Primarily, it's for single women who are wanting to call in their king. Um, that's who I like to work with. But if I have worked with women who have been married for 13 years and just aren't totally in love with their husbands, but they just have never been sexually met with them and, and be able to give them tools to communicate and be met actually by their partner. So that's my group program. It'll be running when this comes out, but I will be having, you know, a future program. It's only three months. So probably next spring or summer, I'll be releasing another round of that. So. I love it. I can't wait yeah. to see all the continued yeah. work that you release. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes. Um, and my, my Instagram is Jenny Rose Hartsong. It's J E N N Y R O S E. And then Hartsong is H E A R T S O N G. Wonderful. I'll be happy to link it below. And since we have found ourselves at the end, I am going to play a clip from a show my concert wife Kate took me to in Wichita, Kansas. It's an incubus clip, of course. So enjoy the music, my friends, and we will see you on the next episode. Jenny, thank you again. Thank you. It was so fun. Yes. <laughs> This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.